0: You're listening to the sermon audio from The Shore Church, located in North Vancouver. For more information about The Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. We're going to be in Galatians 5.16 today, if you want to open your Bibles. Uh, As I was sitting there pre-service here in the front row, uh, I was looking at the pre-service slides, and I saw that The Shore has a reading plan. You guys are reading through the Bible in a year. And we're doing the same thing at Northview. This is a a standard practice for Christians. like like, since the Reformation, really. As as soon as the Bible was accessible to the people of God in their languages, then Christians have made the practice of spending time in God's Word daily. And we've been doing this as a church at Northview. And just last month, uh, we were reading through 1 Samuel. And as we're reading through 1 Samuel, you're introduced right to the, the... Samuel and then Saul and then David, and then the story gets really good and the story gets really bad. But as we're reading through this passage, I remember having a very interesting conversation uh, with a young adult, and they asked me, uh, Was Saul saved? Like King Saul, like the guy who led the people of Israel, and who were told that like, God picked him. Will he be in heaven? this is a fascinating question, right? It, we, we ask this when we see public figures make bad decisions. We ask this when we look at our own families and see people not walking as closely with the Lord as they had in previous seasons. We tend to ask this question, uh, is a person saved? As we look at Saul's story, we see highs. He rescued Israel. He followed the Lord faithfully. God chose him. He prophesied even as filled by the Spirit of God. But we also see the lows, right? We see that... Saul disobeyed God on multiple occasions. He gave a sacrifice he was never supposed to give. God ordered him to go and bring judgment on a city. He refused to do it. Uh, He ended up murdering priests as he was pursuing David, as he's attempting to murder David. So Saul had some low lows and some high highs. So when we ask the question, and the young adult, I think, was well-meaning, they're asking, like, what is the nature of Christian life? I think that's the question beneath the question. This isn't a question about Saul. It's a question about us. What is the nature of a genuine, saving Christian faith? What should we look for in ourselves and in the people we most care about? I think Christian life starts in a moment, but it also continues in a process. So I want to take both these words, process and progress, and I want to argue that both of them are essential to Christian life. We're going to be in Galatians 5.16, where we learn that Christians walk by the Spirit, And walking by the Spirit means we start with a process and we continue with a progress. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, Paul, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We're jumping into Galatians 5. If you've read this book before, you know that there's six chapters. We're in the second or the final third of this book. And there's a bunch of stuff we've skipped, right? Galatians is one of my favorite books because there are a few verses in this passage or in this book that are profoundly shaping for the church. Galatians 2.16 clearly teaches justification by faith, that the Christian can approach God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And then if we jump from chapter 2 into chapters 3 and 4, we learn about Old Testament history and the overlap between Old Covenant and New Covenant. And then as we jump into chapter 5, we get to the Christian ethics. And then the passage that we're looking at, 5.16-18, to 18, is one of the clearest passages on the nature of the christian experience on the highs and the lows of christian life on what is required to be a christian before we get too far into it though i want to quickly note that this passage gives us a brief biblical anthropology so when i say anthropology i mean the study of man when we when we look at the bible the bible teaches us things unto salvation But it also teaches us things about how God made us and what our nature is, what what we're actually like. Galatians 5 does that for us. It teaches us that humanity is both a body and a soul. So, both of these two things together. Uh, We see this in the passage because we see something about flesh in verse 16, but something about spirit in verse 18. We are physical bodies, but there's something more to us than just our physical selves. Humans are body and soul. But I think we have to go one step further than this. If humans are body and soul, like, what are we like when we run into a random person on the street? As we spend time with our families and our friends and our coworkers, what are people like? And this passage gives us a picture of biblical anthropology, what the nature of man is. Uh, but it's not quite so uh, wonderful. The natural condition of the human heart is selfishness or corruption. You're like, well, that's not the direction I was hoping to go this morning. But there is something in us that this passage starts to hint at that pulls us inward and pulls us away from other people. There's this natural inclination, a natural proclivity to do what we want, to reject any kind of boundary. Uh, We see speed limit signs, as I saw this morning and we treat them like speed suggestions, right? It says 90 or 80 because it's a construction zone, but everyone else is going 100, so I'm going to go 110, right? We we drive in the way that we want. Uh, we see really any sign. When you see the red stop sign and you look both ways and there's no one there, or when you see the sign that says "Do not walk on the grass" or "Keep right," right? There's something in us that your very first inclination is, "I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to I'm going to do what I want. No one's here. Who's going to notice?" Where does that come from? Where does that desire to go our own way, that desire to do what we want, where does that come from? Well, biblically speaking, it comes from within, what this passage calls the flesh. The flesh is a biblical word to describe the corrupted human heart. There is a human nature. We have something inside us that has bent inward and pulls us in wrong directions If we go to Ephesians chapter 2, this passage gives gives us greater clarity on what Paul means by flesh here in in 5.16. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says this, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 3 clearly teaches that idea of nature, so what Paul calls flesh. This passage picks up and, and adds to it that there's a nature, there's something in us, our disposition, that pulls us inward, that pulls us towards what we want. By nature, we are children of wrath. And this passage matches the same, same idea in Galatians that humans are a body and soul. We are a body and this passage says, mine. There is a physical and non-physical you. Those two make up you fully, and you fully wants to do what you want to do. And Scripture warns us that when you have a, a society of people that have this inclination towards self, towards their own way, there are dramatic effects that has, both on them and on the people in their lives. James chapter 4 1 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Like why do things go wrong with other people? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So he's using the same language as Ephesians 2. There's something in you that causes you to want your own way. And when someone else doesn't bend, quarrels and fights break out among you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Uh, This passage obviously extrapolates to the nth degree and says, no, you, you want something, so you kill to get it. And it's unlikely that any of us have killed to get what we want, but we've all, like, we've all slandered someone. We've all gotten angry with someone. Uh, we've all had fantasies about what if, what if, what if. And James 4 is building on the ideas presented in Ephesians 2, which is building on ideas presented in Galatians 5, that the human condition is one of corruption and selfishness. Something is wrong in here. And that something wrong in here creates all manner of confusion and challenges in our life. But our passage was not just Galatians 5.16. It was Galatians 5.16 to 18. And as you keep reading the passage, we see the idea of flesh, but a second character enters the picture. We see the idea of spirit. So what, what is this spirit? This spirit is God entering into the situation of what natural humanity is like, and doing something about it. See, this is what the Bible is so clear about that humans are broken, but God is the kind of God who is unwilling to let that be. God steps into human existence and does things inside our heart to change us, to begin to transform people. One of the clearest examples of this comes to us from the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, starting in verse 3, says this. So Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is confused as to who Jesus is and what he's teaching. And Jesus tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus will go on to say that in verse 7, that the Spirit is the one that gives a new birth. Jesus says, you have to be born again because that human condition, there's something in you that has to change. You need a new birth. You need a fresh start. And Nicodemus asked the question that any of us would ask. Well, how can I change my heart? I can't even see it. And the hope that the Christian has is that God has stepped into their reality and said, I'm going to change your heart. That is what God does. The Christian life begins in a process That is God changing our heart. It's something that we cannot do for ourselves. And in the moment that God changes our heart, that God starts something brand new in us, brand new desires spring forth. If before our corruption was selfish and led to quarrels and division, after the process has begun, after God has changed our heart, New desires start springing forth. Uh, New desires like obedience to God. Why would I read a Bible and then listen to something it said if it was written 2,000 to 4,000 years ago? Where does that desire come from? Uh, Why would I want to self-sacrifice? Why would I want to be inconvenienced on my Sunday mornings and be here with some people that I kind of like and kind of don't know? Uh, Why is it that when someone wrongs me, I read a passage in the scripture that tells me that we go to them, even though they wronged us, and seek to be reconciled. And then we decide, you know what? I don't want to do this, but I'm going to. Where does that desire come from? If we know the Bible, we would say, well, it comes from a new heart. A new heart given to you by God as he grants you the new birth by the power of the Spirit. The process that starts Christian life begins with a brand new identity. There are two things that this process involves. God doing something in you, something you cannot do for yourself. The first is a new identity. In in this book, in Galatians 2.20, we're reminded that we are crucified with Christ. This is Paul's shorthand for describing what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus. If you have become a Christian... The moment you became a Christian happened at at some point after you heard the gospel preached. And when you heard the gospel preached, you would have learned something about Jesus and then what Jesus accomplished for you, namely his sacrificial death. If you have a corrupted heart that bends you inward and puts you in rejection of God, in rebellion towards God and other people, and you need a new heart and you need to respond to the gospel, God has to do something to dramatically transform humanity. And he did. He died on the cross to forgive people of their sins and then sends his spirit to transform their hearts. Christian life is this identification with Jesus, this brand new identity that we're not what we used to be. We're we're part of this man, this God's people. Christian life begins with a new identity and that new identity proceeds into new desires. There are things in us that bubble forth that are brand new, and if you've been a Christian for some amount of time, the, the desires start to become old hat. They start to become ideas that you're just like, well, yeah, this is normal. Yeah, like, I, you're supposed to read your Bible. Uh, you're supposed to love your neighbor. You're, you're, you're supposed to forgive people. But those are not natural desires. Those are not natural dispositions. Those came from somewhere. And what I want to remind you of this morning is that Christian life starts with a process. A process where God changes your heart. and You identify with Christ... And then because of the changed heart, you have new desires. So when this passage uses the phrase, walking by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit only happens for people who have experienced the process of heart transformation. If you don't even know what that means, if if you're wondering, like, have I even experienced a heart transformation? When I look at my life, would I say I identify with Christ, that I have been crucified with Christ? If you're not in a place where you would say, no, I, I am on team Jesus. I follow Jesus. I obey Jesus. I stumble along the way as I pursue Jesus, but that's who I am. I am a Christian. I have new identity and new desires. And if you cannot say that this morning, today's a great reminder. This passage is a great reminder that all you have to do is ask. That passage I read you from James 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Far be it from us to not ask God to change our hearts, to not ask God for help. Uh, I have two little boys, and my, my oldest is two years and two months, so he's, he's at this stage where he, like, he can chain words together now, and one of his favorite phrases is help. Uh, not because he thinks his dad is like Superman, but in his worldview, when something goes wrong in his life, he has to only ask, and the things that go wrong in his life start to change. If he's hungry or he wants water and he says, help, or he grabs on someone's leg, that person tends to give him the thing that he wants. My son is learning the skill of speaking up so that his need can be met. He's only two, just over two, but this is a life skill that Christians, as we get older, we start to forget. And we start to think, I want that Christian life where, like, I obey God and I pursue him and I'm, like, on fire for Jesus— but when we're not there, we don't st- stop and think to ask for help. We should. If, if you can't say, no, no, I've experienced a heart transformation. I'm following Jesus. I see those new desires bubbling forth from my heart. Then today's a great reminder to just ask. You do not have because you do not ask. Ask God to fix the broken things in your life. Whether it's dissatisfaction, disordered desires, challenges in relationships, challenges in your contentment in your life, God can fix all of those things after He fixes your broken or your, your twisted, corrupted inward heart. So Christian life begins with a process. It starts with a process, but it continues with a progress. As we we're gonna circle back to Galatians 5. 16, 18, it's just three verses, so I'll read it again. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. As we get to verse 18, we see that something happens. Once that process has taken place, something happens that it's a It's a progress. It's an ongoing, continual thing. Even the phrase, walk by the Spirit, is a continual action. Earlier I said that identity leads to new desires, right? We have an identifying with Christ comes first. We have a new heart, identify with Christ, new desires. But there's more to life than just those two things. When we talk about what Christian life is, I think it's appropriate to say there's a struggle of some sort. And this passage does a wonderful job of identifying the struggle and then helping us think accurately about that struggle. Many of you have children, as I saw these little people up here. So blink twice if you've seen The Emperor's New Groove. Wow. So only one person. That a girl. All right. The Emperor's New Groove, hilarious movie, highly recommend. Uh, It was back when kids' movies were still kids' movies. Yes, amen. Uh, this movie was wonderful. There's this great scene where one of, the, one of the characters, Gronk, is facing an intense moral decision. He's deciding, uh, like, should I participate in the murder of someone or should I not? Which we would say that's a moral, moral decision, a moral dilemma. And then you get on each shoulder, you get like the little angel Gronk and a little demon Gronk. A little demon Gronk's like, totally do it. You can get away with it. It doesn't matter. Who cares? This guy's a loser. He hated you anyways. And the other guy's like, Well, Gronk, if you do this, that's a bad thing. It'll lead to bad things. You don't want to be that bad guy. And I think when we think of Christian life, sometimes we have that image, right? And maybe we wouldn't say that we're cartoon characters, but we, we act like, you know, there's two influences on you, and they're, you know, one on each shoulder, and you're sitting in a, in a whatever, a si- any situation, and you're like, Should I say that thing? You definitely shouldn't say that thing. That's slanderous, it will hurt people. And you are like, that guy deserves it. Clap back, light him up. And you have that kind of experience. But this passage makes it very clear that Christian life is a struggle, but it's more than just a struggle of two little people saying things in your ear, whispering, trying to lead you in a direction. Uh, this passage describes a war. And I think a war is almost too soft of, of language. I wanna give you a picture. Uh, the, the contrast in this passage of this... Animosity between spirit and flesh. They are against each other. They're opposed to each other. I think a good image for us is to, to match our summertime vibes. Uh, if you're at the pool and, you know, whether it, it's or uh, any aquatic body of water, you are somewhere with water and you have a floaty and you are on that floaty. Uh, imagine with me that you're on that floaty, you have an appropriate amount of sunscreen so you don't burn. And as you're sitting on that floaty, you have one friend who's there like, I just want to keep you afloat. You know, there's some waves, there's some wind. I just want to keep you from capsizing, keep you out of the water. And then you have another friend who is trying to drown you. And maybe they're not your friend if they're trying to drown you. Uh, But they want to get you off the floaty. They want to dunk you. They want to ruin the experience, right? And those two people are going at each other, but all around you. They're like pushing and prodding at you and trying to dunk you. One person's catching it, right? If you've ever seen alligators in water like that rolling and rolling and rolling, that's the image I want you to have when this passage talks about spirit versus flesh, spirit against flesh. Their desires are opposed to each other. You have two persons working in your life. One is the spirit of God who transformed your heart and he wants to give you life. And the other is the the flesh your sin nature, something inside you that bends inward that wants to kill you. So you have one desire leading you to life and one desire leading you to death, and they're both at war within you all the time. This passage describes a dramatic opposition as two pressures, two inward dispositions pull you in opposite directions. Uh, Maybe another example would be helpful. I play soccer in an Abbotsford league that is co ed. So it's five guys, five girls, 11 on 11. And in this league, one of the challenges is as it's played during the spring and summer. And then as soon as summer hits, people in this part of the world take off, right? They go camping and they'll be gone for like crazy amounts of time. They're like, I'm gone three weeks here and then I'm going to Palm Springs and then people's travel schedules all over the place. So I recruit generally like 20 to 25 players and then a sub list. So my team is generally around 30 players uh, because so many people miss games. And I just want to be prepared for the games that they miss. And the hottest commodity is athletic female players uh, because the league requires five guys and five girls. And you can always find some random guy that was good in high school and was willing to play again. But girls are much tougher to find. So I, myself, and I serve at a big church, myself and another guy who also runs a team, we both identified the same star player. We were both recruiting the same star player. Uh, and we ran into each other and exchanged text messages that were, they were above board. don't worry. Uh, but we were both going aggressively after that same person. And this same young lady, she had to make a decision. You can't play for two teams. You only play for one team. She's playing for the loser team or for my team. And... Uh, This idea, though, is also helpful in describing the flesh versus the spirit. You have this war going on. One wants to kill you, one wants to give you life, but you also choose. There is a human volition aspect to this. You follow one of them, and you can only play for one team. So are you going to follow the spirit, or are you going to follow the flesh? Let's compare the teams. What, what are the teams like? If you read on in Galatians 5, you would learn that team flesh is identified by these kinds of things. In verses 19 to 21, if you want to turn there in your Bible, it's not on the screen, it's just a quick list. The flesh and that team is defined by sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. You're like, oh, that's 15 bad things and things like these so that list goes on and on etc 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 the flesh when i said it leads you to death these are the paths 15 distinct paths and things like these that lead you unto death right and we would never say that in a moment sin never seems like it's leading us to death Right, we experience some level of dissatisfaction. Right, uh, I had a long day at work, and I get home, and I'm like, not e- my backpack's not even off, my shoes aren't even off as I've walked in the door, and my wife hands me a crying baby, and in that moment, I I feel some anger. Like, does she know who I am? How dare she? I had a long day too. I know you had a long day, but like, at least let me take my shoes off. At least let me use the bathroom. And we have this again, that flesh, that selfish inward bubbling up. And I get angry, or uh, we are we're working, and we know that we're competent at our job, and we have a coworker who's slightly less competent at their job. And at team meeting, our manager praises our less competent coworker because they did one thing right. And you're like, well, that's the only good thing they did last week. Whereas I was here five weeks, I did everything right. And there's something in us that's like, oh, yeah, I can't really clap for them because they don't deserve it. There, there, you have the flesh. The flesh is bubbling forth. Uh, or even just the mental gymnastics where it's summer and we have friends traveling and it is really hard when you see your friends traveling and you have to work or you have other responsibilities and you think, ah, what What if? What if God had given me a different life, a different spouse, different kids, What if, what if, what if? And we see that the flesh is very alive and very well and drawing you, pulling you to pick his team. And his team will lead to death. That kind of attitude destroys families. Anger breaks relationships. Prideful thinking, the inability to praise others, destroys friendships. The flesh leads us to sin, which leads us to death. So that's one team. And the second team is the Spirit, which is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You have two teams, and the second team draws you in a totally different direction. The Spirit is pulling you towards serving your spouse or kids even when it's not what you want to do. Even when it's not what is best for you. The Spirit says sacrifice in the same way that God the Father and God the Son sacrificed for you. Or when you're at work and you know that it's, it's going to be a long week and someone has to take the tough job and you say, you know what, I'll do it. I'm happy to serve. I will humble myself and serve my community in this way. Or when you're frustrated by a circumstance or you feel that envy creeping in or that jealousy and you decide, you know what, no, in this moment, I'm going to take my thoughts captive. Father, help me be content with the life you've given me. This was your will for my life. So God, help me be okay with it. The spirit draws you towards his team. The flesh draws you towards his team. And we experience this daily battle of flesh versus spirit and its constant, constant conflict. This passage doesn't want to emphasize the conflict, though. It acknowledges the conflict, but it moves to emphasize the progress. Walk by the spirit, verse 16. Walking by the spirit is the idea that we progress over Christian life. There is gradual change. As, as we compare the flesh and the spirit, I think it's accurate to say there are moments where we do follow the flesh and we fall into those kinds of sins. So Christian life isn't perfection, but Christian life is less being swooned or swooning, swooning towards the flesh and more following the spirit. Uh, my, my wife and I took our two little boys to the Greater Vancouver Zoo, which is a hilarious name for a zoo that is actually in Aldergrove. Uh, so I, they must have done that for the Google hits, uh, but it's very much in Aldergrove, not even Langley yet. And this little zoo, they, had, they rescued three grizzly bear cubs uh, like this, this past fall, or I guess six months ago or something like that. Uh, These grizzly bear cubs, the the mother was killed in some form of accident, and the three little cubs, of course, were going to die in the wild, so they rescued them, put them in the zoo. And these little bears were adorable. They're like this big. They look like little dogs, but they're like bears are much more nimble, so they're like rolling on the ground and slapping soccer balls around. They looked so cute. And as we're looking at these little bears, like my son is like leaning as close as possible to the fence as I'm pulling him back, because that's still a grizzly bear. And He's asking about the bears, and he wants to know how big. Like, he's like, bear? I'm like, this is actually a baby bear. He's like, baby bear? Yeah. No, this, is, this bear will actually be, like, way bigger than daddy. Like, this bear will be Jer Adrian size, right? Like, they're monsters. They're huge, right? And that's what little bears do. Little bears grow up to be big bears. And little grizzly bears grow up to be big grizzly bears. Christian life is the same way. Little Christians, regardless of their age, regardless of their spiritual maturity, start as little Christians. We start as spiritual babies, That's the line from John chapter 3. You must be born again. You start as a spiritual toddler needing all kinds of help, but no one stays a spiritual toddler. You walk by the Spirit, and you actually grow into a spiritual child, into a spiritual teenager, into a spiritual adult. Christian life is this walking by the Spirit. It's this growing, that word, the verb, in walking by the Spirit. It's, it's a present active. It means it is an active, I participate in this action, and it's a continual thing. Christian life is this continual walking. It is a, a thousand steps in the right direction, a million steps in the right direction. Again, this is only possible if you've received a new heart, a new identity with new desires that leads you into new actions. Jesus Christ on the cross died to free us from slavery to sin. He died so that the flesh doesn't have to be the only thing that draws us. The Spirit of God can now draw us. And the Spirit of God draws us into greater and greater obedience. So this process, this walking by the Spirit, new identity into new desires, into new actions, one of the principal Manifestations of that in our life is that we must kill sin early. And this phrase obviously needs to be unpacked. Um, what I mean is that it, in our Christian experience, when we recognize sin, our disposition towards that sin needs to be to kill it. Earlier, I chose to use the language of there is a battle between flesh and spirit. And I'm trying to pick up the same language because I want you to see the gravity of the situation. If one is trying to drown you on your floaty and the other one is trying to preserve your life, what, what should your disposition be towards the one who's trying to kill you? you? You push away. You have to fight back. And Christian life is this fighting back, this choosing to go a different path. And we can do this through, our, through new thought patterns, and through new habits. So when I say new thought patterns, I, I want to ask you just a, a reflection question. When, when you think of yourself like in, in your day-to-day life, uh, do you think of yourself as someone who has been saved? Like your first thought, if Christian life begins with this new identity, when you're just walking or going to school or going to work and something is challenging, do you think, I have been saved and God fills me with the Spirit so I can walk in a new direction. I think that thought is exceedingly rare. I think it to be exceedingly rare because I don't think that every single day. And I wrote this sermon. I think it is a challenge for us in our day-to-day life when we experience the frustrations and the challenges of life in a fallen world To think of ourselves rightly, to think of ourselves as someone who has been justified, who every single sin we have ever committed, are going to commit, or could possibly commit, has been forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, Scripture tells us that we are a new creation in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that when God gives us a new heart and a new birth, it's not just like a kind of little change, it's a total transformation. We are a different kind of person. We don't think that Jesus calls us his family. There's this great passage in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus is approached by someone and they, they tell him, Jesus, your, your mother and your, and your sisters, they're looking for you. And Jesus looks at the messenger and then turns to a crowd like you and says, these are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister. God thinks of you as his family. So when you face a challenge, do you think of yourself as a Christian? We need to have new thought patterns. Uh, do you think yourself as someone who is actually changing? I think again, right, we, we live in an age of self-improvement where that, the number one genre of book is how to be better. Positive thinking and workouts and diets and loving yourself, the, the The Enneagram, the entire purpose of it is that you would know yourself better so you could love yourself more. We live in an age where we've never pursued self-love more, and yet we've never been so sad. What's going wrong? What's broken? Do you think of yourself as someone who is transforming? So when you see yourself in the mirror and you see things that you don't like, is your first thought, I can't believe I'm this way? Or is your first thought, no, God is changing me from what I am into the image of Jesus? I, I don't think it's your first thought, again, because it's not my first thought. Christian life is the formation of new thought patterns when we see the brokenness in ourselves, when we see us fall to the temptations of sin and be immoral, be angry be any manner of sin, whatever sin you most readily pursue, it is us when we recognize that we fall into that sin saying, no, Father, I repent of this sin, and God, I know you are changing me. God, help me change more. It is a new thought pattern. Killing sin begins with a new thought pattern, and it continues with new habits. I rejoiced when I saw the slide that you guys are in this reading plan. I don't know how how much... Uh, like the involvement of the church is in it, or how committed you are to it, whether you read in the morning or in the evening. But there is no shortcut to learning who God is and being transformed by him. Uh, We have to put ourselves in proximity to him, and that happens through time in his word. That happens through time in community. When we're around the Christian church, when we spend time in Bible studies or in small groups, those kinds of things make a profound impact on us. Uh, I I serve in, at Northview, we have a large office building, and our office building is in the shape of a U, and the, the building faces east. So when the sun comes up, for like up until noon, you get a tremendous amount of sunlight through one side of the office building. And the the lady, the office manager, bought these fiddle leaf figs, right? Like, that's what everyone has now. Very beautiful, broad, green plants. And she planted them in massive boxes and put them on each side of the office. The largest plant in our office is, we have eight-foot ceilings. It hits the eight-foot ceiling and bends back. It's probably eight and a half feet tall. Guess what side of the building that plant is on? The sunlight side, you bet. They're The same plants bought at the same time from the same nursery, planted in the same dirt, in the same boxes, all around the same office. But one side of the office gets a tremendous amount of sunlight. They all get the same amount of water, but one one side gets a lot of sun. And that's the one that grows. Christian life is like that. God fills us, gives us the same new birth, fills us with the same spirit. And some people grow little by little. Right? Because the Spirit of God never loses. He does transform us. But then some people grow leaps and bounds. What is it that helps those people grow leaps and bounds? It's not just the new thought patterns. It's new thought patterns and new habits. And the new habits are the mundane things like spending time in God's Word, spending time with God's people. Those kinds of things are what expose you to God's light. And God's light produces tremendous change. Christian life, this walking by the Spirit begins with the work of God. We have a new identity, new desires, new actions, and this entire process begins with God and continues as God keeps working in our lives. Uh, But of course, we do participate in it. So before I end, I want to give you a quick disclaimer. Uh, As I describe this battle... I want you to understand that walking by the spirit is a long process and God does change you and you will grow like that fiddle leaf fig, but we will also experience failure. How do we think of the moments that we experience failure? When you've been walking with the Lord for a time and you're feeling like, man, God has got my back and I'm changing, I'm different, you know, I'm no longer the gossip I used to be, I'm no longer as self-absorbed as I used to be, I'm no longer as lustful as I used to be, you know, name your pet sin." And then through a series of circumstances, maybe you're low on reading that week and you just haven't been praying very much and temptation presented itself and you fall into sin. How should we think of ourselves in those moments? Again, I, I want to circle back to what I would previously said. Christian life begins with, with a new thought pattern. And your new thought pattern is that you, you're saved. You are saved and God is transforming you. Uh, I'm, I am part of... An accountability group with a bunch of young men. I serve with young adults, so a lot of my time is spent with young people. And young men in particular are battling sexual sin in a culture that so readily makes temptation available to them. And I was talking to one of the young men, and he was telling me, like, I, he'd had, I think he was, like, Over 150 days since the last time he looked at sexual content. And he was feeling like, dude, I can see God changing me. Like, I know I'm different than when I started this journey. Like, I rejoice in God's goodness. I'm free. I'm free. He was so pumped. And then the next time I talked to him, he had seen sexual content. And he spent the first, like, 10 minutes of the conversation beating himself up. Like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so humiliated. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I fell back into sin. I know it's going to kill me. I know it's going to destroy any potential spouse or marriage or children I have. And he was just going on and on and on. And I, I interrupted him, and I said, brother, listen, yes, you sinned. And praise God you've repented, and he texted me the day after. He texted the rest of the accountability group. So he's confessed his sin. He's repented, and he's removing temptations from his life. But I said, do you you understand that normal, like natural person, someone led by the flesh, they can't even identify sin. The works of the flesh, as we saw in Galatians 5, lead to all manner of sin. And even if they could identify sin, they're not going to repent of it, and even if they identify and repent of it, there's no way they're going to tell someone else that they failed. And then talk to that other person about how they could pursue greater repentance. Like what you're describing, brother, is walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit includes moments of profound failure. But you get back up and you keep walking by the Spirit. Is a present, continuous action. Christian life is us walking, us pursuing. And the Father Through the work of the Spirit, changing our hearts and empowering us in this process. Christian life is walking by the Spirit. This walking by the Spirit starts with a process and continues with a progress. I think when we, returning to what we started with, when we think of the question, like, what is a genuine Christian? We want to look at case studies like King Saul, and we want to ask the question. But his story's over your story is still going, your families, your extended family, your coworkers, your friends. So when we look at ourselves, when we look at our communities, and we ask the question, like, what should I long to see in the people of God? Start with the process, continue in the progress. Walk by the Spirit. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll invite the music team back up. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, Lord, that challenges us. Uh, Lord, I'm reminded, as I read this morning, uh, as we looked at your word, that Christian life is a battle. And this battle is an everyday, every waking moment kind of thing. Father, I know that every single person experiences different forms of the battle with sin, different perennial struggles, but we all have the same spirit that leads us to life. So Father, I pray that you would lead me and every single person in this room unto life. Father, if there are people who've not yet been willing to face their sin, I pray that you would put a great burden on them by your spirit, that they would reach out to Christian community, that they would reach out to Pastor Jer, and they would be willing to fight. Christian life is walking. Sometimes we stumble, sometimes we crawl, sometimes we're just laying there, but we are filled by the spirit. So Father, fill us again Help us walk. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.